Open your Bibles to 2 John. Uh, we're looking at the series Truth Matters in a World of Lies. And uh, we're at the, uh, the overview here. We're at uh, verses 1 through 3. Love by the truth or love with the truth. Live in the truth, look for the truth, learn for the truth. But what we're looking at is verses 1 through 3, and we're seeing the provision that truth has for us. Now, last week we talked a little bit about what kind of truth are we talking about. What kind of truth? And I just want to remind you that when we talk about truth, we're talking about incarnate truth, the person of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the indwelling truth of the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus into our lives, bring His truth into our lives. And we're talking about the inspired, inerrant truth of God's Word, which is revealed to us. So the written Word, the indwelling Word, and the written Word. This is the truth that we're talking about. And we talked last week how we often think of truth as impersonal, rigid, dry and hard, and, and maybe we're guilty sometimes of presenting God's truth that way, but that's the truth that we're talking about. It's personal. It's powerful. It's, 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 it's real, and it's, it's wanting to work in our lives. We looked at also what kind of love are we talking about. We're talking about love that is revealed from God in truth. So God has told us what truth is. God tells us what love is, and love is supernatural. You do not know love if you do not know God. And when you know God through Jesus Christ, you know what love is. And it's a sacrificial love, a scriptural love, a saving love, a sanctifying love. These are all the aspects of love. So our culture throws around the word love all the time. And we, we ourselves probably don't take time to say, okay, now what do I mean by love? What really is love? But this is the kind of love that we're looking at, gospel truth and gospel love. Now, let's look in your Bibles at uh, the verse, first three verses of Second John. Uh, and as we read here, we're going to see truth four times, mentioned four times, love, or five times in four verses. Love is mentioned four times. This is the kind of love we're talking about. So look in your Bibles at the second letter of John, and uh, let's read this and follow along as I read it. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, a local church and its members, whom I love in truth, and not... Only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. It's like John can't go three words without saying truth, and then he adds love to it. So what we want to see is that God's truth provides everything we need to share God's love with others. Truth is the birthplace of love. And so we're looking at five provisions, and last week we saw this first one. God's truth provides boundaries for loving others. And the bottom line is this. Truth provides the boundaries of love. This is God's kind of love. Because look at what he says. I love in truth. Not outside truth. Not outside of truth, but within the sphere. We are to love in truth within the boundaries, the sphere, the limits of God's truth. But 
when love takes us outside of those boundaries of truth, then it's less than love. We may think it's loving. The world may say it's loving. The people that we're loving may say that's loving. But that's not what God says. When love takes us outside. So, one of the temptations we have in loving people is to set the truth aside. And we just set it aside. We say, well, love is what's important. Not truth. Love is important. I'm going to love in the way that I'm led to, in the way that others want me to, in the way the culture wants me to. And I'm just going to set truth over here to the side. But that's not God's kind of love. We are not loving in truth when we set aside the truth in order to love. We talked about that last week. But sometimes we know better. We shouldn't set aside the truth, so we twist the truth. We fit the truth to fit what we want to do. And so now the boundaries have gaps in it. They have holes in it. And we're still looking. Now we're looking at the Bible. We're not setting it aside. We're looking at it, but we're twisting what is there. And we're not loving in truth when we twist the truth in order to love. A lot of ways we do that. We talked last week. uh, What would Jesus do? That's a big one. What would Jesus do? And then people proceed to tell you what Jesus would do. The only problem is that's their opinion. Show me in the Bible. Well, they'll say, well, look, Jesus ate with sinners. So that justifies me doing this or that. Well, he ate with sinners, but what was the reason for which he ate with sinners? What did he do? Well, first of all, he called them sinners. He ate with sinners. Okay, so just try, you know, that right there sets a different tone than in our culture, right? Okay, and then what did he do with sinners when he ate with them? He called them to repentance. Okay, so the idea that Jesus is just eating with sinners, having a a great old time, and truth is set aside is not the case. Truth came to the table too. And he calls them to repentance. And, uh, And then sometimes people will say, For instance, on the topic of homosexuality, well, there's only seven passages, but love's all over the Bible. Well, there's still seven passages, okay? So that's twisting the truth. Uh, How many times does God have to speak truth for it to be taken seriously? Does it need to be a dozen times? Does it need to be 30 times? Does it need to be in there 40 times? The fact is, we are not loving in truth when we twist the truth in order to love third way that I think we are tempted to go outside the boundaries of truth and loving people is when we take truth lightly. We don't twist it. We've been taught better than that. We have convictions. We know, but we take it lightly. We simply don't take it as seriously as God does. We are not loving in truth when we take the truth lightly in order to love others. So, now, Where are we at then? The second thing that we saw in this is that gospel truth provides motivation for loving others. And that's in the rest of verse 1. So look at verse 1 again. He says, I love you in truth. And not only do I love you in truth, but also all who know the truth. So this isn't just something that the Apostle John did. This isn't something that just pastors do. All people who know the truth love within the boundaries of truth. It motivates us for loving all believers. And so uh, this is a powerful verse because what he's saying is, look, 
Truth motivates us to love. So if we're not love, if we claim we know the truth and we're not loving, then we're denying the truth. Truth motivates us. All who have known the truth. And in your Bibles, I don't know what tense this is, but it, uh, how it, my Bible just says all who know the truth. But it really means those who have known it in the past and they know it. When you get saved, you know the truth and you continue to know the truth. And that truth motivates us to love one another. And we said two things. When truth fails to move us to love one another, it falls short in God's eyes. So this point kind of balances the first point. Okay, we love in truth, but truth also moves us to love people. And we said we're not moved by the truth when we set it as when we set love aside in sharing the truth. We need to speak the truth in love. When we twist love in sharing the truth, we shouldn't try to manipulate people with love. We should sincerely love them. Even when they reject the truth, we should love them. Even when they don't want to hear the truth, we should love them. And then number three, when we take love lightly in sharing the truth. Um, We need to be serious about loving people with the truth. I uh, did a funeral yesterday of my childhood friend who I've known since I was four. And uh, as far as I know, did not make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ. And yet, whose life touched hundreds, hundreds of people. The, the, funeral, uh, the, the uh, funeral parlor was packed. People were standing all the way around. They were line was out the door of how this individual loved people. Just loved them. And, you know, as I conducted that and, and thought through that and sat with the family this week. He, he had a heart attack last Sunday at 9 o'clock. I married him and his wife less than her second husband to die of a heart attack. It's her third husband. I mean, it's a tragic story. But, you know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, wow, the bar that my friend has set in loving others is so high. It is so high. And yet, it lacked the gospel truth. It lacked gospel love. But listen, as we love people like that, then we get opportunities to speak gospel truth. That didn't happen, you know, just because I showed up. or so. It happened because there's a relationship there. And you're loving them in truth. But all I'm trying to say is, we, when we have the truth, unsafe people can be very loving. Are you with me? Unsaved people can be tremendously kind, tremendously loving. And we should thank God because it makes our community and our, our, our city and our, our, our world a better place. It just doesn't have eternal significance. It didn't help him get to heaven. It didn't make a difference on his eternity. But what it does say is if we're going to go out there and share the truth and not do it in love... We're not going to be listened to because there's some very great loving people out there. And so this balances the first truth, but it doesn't set the first truth aside. How can we how can we love that way and have it be an inter, make an inter, eternal difference is because we've got to let truth motivate us in that kind of love. And so 
we covered that last week. But it says uh, the second point under this I want you to see is that when truth fails to move us to one to love one another as members in our local church, it falls short in God's eyes. He says, look, I love this church and its members. And not only I, but all who know the truth ought to love this church and its members. Listen, there's local churches all around this world, all around this world, all different people, all different places that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have the truth in us, we love them. And that's what motivates motivate our praying for missions is because we know the truth and the truth motivates us to love those who know the truth like we know the truth. And so we should love not only the uh, individual people, we should love whole communities of local churches. We should love this church the way in which we love the Lord Jesus Christ and love the members of this church. It's popular right now to say, I love Christ and his people, I just can't stand the church. And we do that, we talked last week, we do that because we've been hurt, we've been, we, we've been betrayed, we've been let down. But hey, that's life, that's life motivates us to love in spite of those things. Love may set boundaries according to the truth, but it doesn't burn bridges. It doesn't refuse to forgive. It doesn't refuse to reconcile with other believers. Here's the bottom line that John is saying. Gospel love never gives up on the local church because gospel truth moves us to love, commit, and persevere as members of a local body of believers. The truth moves us in that direction. Third provision that we hit on last week. Third provision. Gospel truth provides degrees in loving others. This will be very helpful to you. This is probably new to you. And I say this because he says, look, all this love, look at this verses 1 and 2. All this love is love for a local church and for other believers. It's for people that know the truth. And we to take past like this and move it out and start applying it to unsaved people before we even understand how it works for saved people. See, we're starting, what we're starting to do is set aside the church and kind of diss and hate on the church and then go out there and love unsaved people without the truth. We're lacking love among one another and we're lacking truth in loving the lost. And we're it all backwards we need to learn how to love here there's a lot to be said in the early church for unsaved people what are you doing over there they're loving on each other i want to get in on that and we've kind of forsaken kind of it's kind of just yeah the church yeah 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 whatever i'll sleep in i'll do whatever i want but man we got to go out there and just love lost people no we need to be a community of people that are so loving one another, they're like, you know what, I don't get this at work. I don't get this at home. I don't get this anywhere. I don't get this on the ball field. I know some loving people, but I don't see a community of people that love in this way. Does that, does that, I, I know that's backwards for, for what's going on right now. 
And don't get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't go out of these doors and love on people, but it's an overflow of what we do among each other. It's an overflow of what we do in the worship service. It's an overflow of what we do as we get coffee in this class. It's an overflow of what we do in our grow groups. It overflows out of this community that we learn to love one another within the bounds of truth. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, I love everybody like this. I love the elect like this. I love the elect lady, the elect church, the elect members. I love one another. In fact, as I've done this study, I've started to look. Some of these passages where Jesus said, they will know we are his disciples by how we love who? One another. Now, I I know you guys probably don't read some of the crazy stuff I read, but, but I'm amazed. How nearly every week, as I read the stuff that comes across and I read as a part of my calling and profession, how many verse is quoted and then it's applied to loving unsaved people? And I'm like, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say love unsaved, but that verse isn't about loving unsaved people. What is it? They will know we are disciples by how we love who? One another. One another. Now, I don't even understand all the implications of this. I just know we can't quote that verse and then jump to loving unsaved people and saying, hey, we have to do this with unsaved people. We have to be this way. We have to relate this way. Why? They won't know we disciples any other way. Disciples by how we love one another. And so... Let me go through this a little bit. We talked about it. I gave you a better outline today. God is love, but he still has degrees of love when loving people. See, people say, well, hey, we've got to do this for for this group of people. This this particular, particular class or race or whatever, we need to do this because God is love. Yeah, but God has degrees of love. Number one, God as creator loves his creation. God has creator, as creator, loves his creation. He loves the creation right down to the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Let me give you some verses. Just listen. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. This world spins because God loves it. This planet has oxygen because God loves it. You know, okay? Every person that gets up this morning and woke up alive, it's because God loves them. Right? Every person that can function, everything that we enjoy, everything we see is there because God loves it and loves us and wants us to enjoy it. Listen to Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He is feeding, I mean, think about it. He's just feeding them. We should never look at a bird and not think of our Heavenly Father. We should never look at the flowers of the field this spring and not think of God's love for all of His creation. Are you not worth much more than they? Listen, God loves the people He made in His image even more, much more than uh, much more even when they sinned and, 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 and turn away from him. Uh, this is where we learn that God loves sinners. He loves everybody made in his image. They can shake his fist at them and he still loves them. Doesn't mean he's not going to judge them. 
Doesn't mean that there's not consequences, but he is going to love them. Jesus had compassion on all people. When we looked at the Gospels, Jesus looks at hungry people, and what does his heart tell him to do? Feed them. When he sees sick people, what does Jesus' heart want to do? Heal them. When people are, are in bondage to sin, what does Jesus' heart want to do? Set him free. He wants to set him free. This is just his heart. He has that kind of compassion. But it's within the bounds of truth. Secondly, God as Redeemer, and this love moved him to do this. God as Redeemer loves the whole world and offers his son as a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. I love, if you look on our Facebook page last night, God didn't come to please the crowd. He came to die for sinners. That's what D.A. Carson said. And it's true. Listen, as important as feeding, healing, and all those things, he said, hey, your greatest need, your greatest need is your bondage to sin and your need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the challenge yesterday at this funeral was as great as my friend was and as loving as much as everybody gathered there to celebrate his love, He needed something greater, and the people there needed something greater, like we all need. They need the gospel, love, that says Christ died for you as a sinner. I could read you these verses. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Listen, God loves this whole world, but number three, God as Father, God as Father loves his chosen elect children, born from above, adopted with a greater love that's only found in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you four, I think I have four verses there from John. On the night before he was betrayed, in the upper room, he gathered, not the whole world, who did he gather? Twelve disciples. He gathered them, and here's what it says, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. It's not the whole world he's loving here. It's his own, his chosen, his people, his disciples. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. It's a different kind of love. It's a deeper love. It's a greater love. It's a love that says, I am in relationship. I'm in covenant with you and I will be with you forever. Listen to John 13, 34, 35. This is the verses we uh, alluded to. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are disciples if you have love for one another. He said love one another three times there. He couldn't make it any clearer. And you know what we do? We quote that and say, now we got to go love people over here that are unsaved so that we can prove we're disciples. No, that's not the starting point. The starting point is loving God's people with God's kind of love and letting the world see that and letting that love overflow to unsaved people. 
One more, John 15, 9 through 10. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. God's special love for us was shown first to Jesus. Jesus showed it to us, and we are to show it to one another. And the world sees us loving us, one another, like God loved the father, like the father loved the son and like we love one another. They see that and they go, wow, that's supernatural. That's sacrificial. That's sanctifying. That's a different kind of love. We're letting the culture define love and we're buying into it. We're letting the culture tell us what love is. And the love that the culture is, is offering, it's, it's defiling. It is not sanctifying. It is not saving. It will not lead one to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not scriptural. It does not honor the word of God. It is not exalting of the son. It is kind. It is good. It's nice. It's worth celebrating. But it's not sanctifying. It's not the kind of love that we get through Jesus Christ that we share with one another. That the world should see and say, wow, they love differently they love better than we love so just like god we as believers are to have degrees of love when loving people and that just sounds unloving that just sounds unloving does it not we're to have degrees of love when loving people okay so just like god our creator we're to love all people made in his image all people groups regardless of race gender class regardless of what sins may distort god's image even when they deny God's existence and suppress God's truth with their sin and encourage others, we are to love them. Emphatic enough? Yeah, yeah, we're to love them. But not the way we love one another. Not the way we love one another. But we are to love them. Because once we were like them, and it was God's love shown to us, and it was God's love of God's people that got us here today. So we are to do that, like our Creator. And like Jesus, our Redeemer, we're to be good Samaritans, to love all who come across our path in need of compassion and care. When we see the hungry, we ought to want to feed them. And I'm not talking about the hungry in China. I'm talking about the hungry that cross our path. Listen, God, that's the good Samaritan. He wasn't on... Uh, the, the guys that the good Samaritan. Guilt, you know, don't worry about people that aren't within your circle. Worry more about, hey, when I, I here's someone that's hurting. I just need to slow down and help them. You know, here's someone that is discouraged. I just, I, I just need to have love for people. I need to be other-centered. I just need to be that way. But notice number three, like God our Heavenly Father and Jesus our King, we're to have a greater love and a greater care and a greater concern for one another as brothers and sisters in God's elect family. And that's what this love is really about. That's what the love in this letter is about. So, here's these three degrees. Now, I don't know about you, but right now you... you I, I would imagine, well, I think we ought to all be feeling, I need to do a better job of loving. That's a lot of loving. 
You know, this, listen, this lesson on loving within the bound, we're not lessening love through this series. We're increasing our responsibility to love. When you love in truth, you've got big responsibilities. It's a big place out there that needs a lot of love, but it needs God's kind of love. So that brings us to provision number four, and thank God it's here. Gospel truth provides no excuses for not loving others, not loving one another. Gospel truth provides no excuse. And the key to this passage is verse 2. So I want you to look at verse 2. Gospel truth provides no excuses for not loving one another. Now, here's what he says. All this love in truth that takes place in verse 1, he says the reason it takes place is for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So we love within the boundaries of truth. Truth motivates us to love. And the reason that takes place, the reason that takes place is because the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. So what's that mean? Let me give you the simple principle. Here it is in your notes. We have no excuse because gospel truth abides in us through the incarnation of Jesus and will never abandon us due to the indwelling spirit. That's what verse 2 is all about. I promise you, these letters are like vitamins. They have all this stuff packed in them. And, 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 but when you take time to study them, you're like, whoa. That's what verse 2 is all about. Here's what he's saying. Gospel truth abides in us through the incarnation of Christ. He says, for the sake of the truth which abides in us. This isn't mental truth. This isn't principle that we write on our paper, this is the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know this? John 14, 6 says what? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the truth. And when the way truth, God's truth abides in you is when Jesus abides in you. And you're like, wait a minute, because you're good theologians in this class. You're going, wait a minute. Jesus had a body, he died, he rose with a glorified body, and that glorified body's where? At the right hand of heaven. So how can he be in me? How can that truth abide in me? How can he personally be in me? The second part of the verse. And will be with us forever. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells us. So he abides with us and he will never abandon us because he's given us the Holy Spirit. You say, how do you know that? Turn your Bibles, John 14, 16 through 17. So in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. But look at John 14, 16 through 17. Turn your Bibles there, John 14, 16 through 17. Now, this is a beautiful comparing Scripture to Scripture. If you want to learn how to study the Bible, you compare Scripture with Scripture. Better than commentaries, better than what other people write. The best way is to compare Scripture with Scripture. Notice what John 14, 16, 17. Same passage, uh, same chapter of the Bible, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, meaning another helper of the same kind that I am, that he will be with you forever. Does that sound familiar? What did Second John 2 say? For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be, it's the exact same phrase in the original language, exact same phrase. I'm going to give you a helper that will be with you forever. That is the spirit of what? Truth. That's how truth abides in us. That's how truth 
will always dwell with us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's truth, but He sends His Spirit of truth to dwell in us and will never abandon us. And that truth in us motivates us to love others and provides the boundaries for loving others. He says, I will ask you, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Listen, this is truth the world can't get any other way than through us. This is truth that the world can't get any other way than us loving them and loving them in truth. And notice it says, because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Now, this is beautiful stuff. We have no excuse for loving others if we're believers in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the the person of truth dwells in us by His indwelling Holy Spirit, which gives us the ability to love. And in the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first characteristic? Love. Love. You can do this. We can do this. In fact, we must do this. This right there, this verse 2, explains all of 1 John. 1 John says, if you don't love people, you don't know God. How can he be that black and white? How can he be that black and white? Because the truth abides in you and will never abandon you. And that truth will motivate you to love. 1 John says, look, these things must take place. You must love truth. You must love one another. You must obey God's commands. And the reason you can be so black and white about those things is not because we can do it, but because the truth abides in us and will never abandon us. So if you're like me and you look at the the changing landscape of this culture and you go, I don't know if I've got it in me. Well, the answer to that is, yes, it's not in you because of who you are, but it is in you because of who he is. And uh, I am telling you, these truths are the truths that will motivate you to stand up. I knew this uh, funeral. I'm using this because it's the most recent example in my life. I knew that funeral would be packed. And I knew the standard of love and admiration that I have and others had for my friend. But I knew that if I focused on that, I would be silenced and intimidated to just celebrate a life. But we needed to do more. I needed to do, not we, I, I. That was my calling. It was my responsibility. And you know what's beautiful about something like that? Is when you preach that truth, listen, you can see unsaved people. They get uncomfortable because they know the shift is from their friend to God. Believe me, the smiles, just the whole room always changes. Because they're like, oh, you know, they know. Okay, here it comes. And you know what? I don't care how many jokes you tell. I don't care how gracious you are. I don't care how many stories you tell, how much you get them to laugh. When it comes to the truth, it's the truth. But you know what? As soon as you're over in a a context like that, God's people just come up. God's people come up. Hey, I'm, I'm an Episcopalian, but I know what you were doing. 
You know what? I could care less what your religion is. I, I want to know, do you have a relationship? And I think you do because you're, you're gravitating to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And then she said, well, what are you? I said, well, I'm Baptist. And she said, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that makes sense. That's what Baptists do. And I'm like, you're right. That's what Baptists do. Not because they're Baptists, but because they're gospel-centered people. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Now, we have no excuse... Second point here, we have no excuse because the personal, powerful, abiding presence of gospel truth in our lives empowers us. It empowers us. It enables us. It, it motivates. I don't care what word you use. It moves us to share gospel love with one another and those who are far from God. Here's what I want you to get before I leave this point. Truth is not an abstract set of beliefs. It's not just a doctrinal statement. It's not just four points in a gospel. It's not just something we we say we believe and we set aside. It's the incarnate Son of God living in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit that enables us to share the inspired Word of God in love. To this world. It's personal and it's with us forever. Now that that's good. Is that good? Was that point good news? Did that encourage you? It's gonna get better. Point number five. Are you ready? Fifth provision that truth provides in loving one another. Gospel truth provides all the resources. Gospel truth provides all the resources for loving one another. This brings us to verse 3. Look at verse 3. You say, wow, I have no excuses, but do I have the... I'm still thinking I can't do this. This is still overwhelming. Here we go. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. How can he be so confident that it will be? He He doesn't pray that it might be. He says it will be. Because this comes right after verse 2. When you've got Jesus indwelling you in truth and love, you've got all the grace, all the mercy, all the peace you need. And, and, And enough for the people around you. Listen, it will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. In your Bibles, they're circled from both times. It's very emphatic. That's not usually the way that that, that verse is presented in other, uh, other, uh, uh, books of the Bible. He's making a big point. He says, look, we get this stuff not just from God the Father, but Jesus Christ. They're equal. Because what were the, uh, false teachers saying? They were saying Jesus was less than God. Jesus was a created being. And he's saying, look, there's only one way you get this stuff. It's from Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, the Son of the Father. That means equal to the Father. He's God's Son. He is God. And then he can't help but say it again in truth and love. So let's break this down. What's it tell us? First of all, John promises that the resources for loving one another will always be with those who truly know the truth of the gospel. And what are those resources? Let me give them to you. Number one, it's amazing grace. There's amazing grace. Listen, the greatest resource we have is that God initiated truth and revealed it to us. God initiated love. We didn't love Him. He first loved us and gave His Son as a a sacrifice for our sins. Grace to share with others in truth and love. Amazing grace. God gave us what we didn't deserve. That's what grace is. Getting what you don't deserve. 
And that's what we ought to, that's the resource we have. We can share with it. You know what? They don't deserve it. That's right. That's why we do it. But they don't deserve it. I know. That's why we do it. But they don't deserve it. I know. That's why we do it. Because that's what God did with us. He gave us what we didn't deserve. When we didn't deserve it. And by the way, we still don't deserve it. And He still keeps giving it. Amazing grace. Undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy for us to share. You can't get mercy if there's not grace. Listen, we didn't deserve mercy. And now we get what we don't deserve. And now we don't get what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. We deserve eternal separation and judgment. And God says, look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not only going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. Wow. Listen, we don't need to be out there condemning people. We need to be out there showing mercy to people, but we do it in truth. And then the result of getting that is true peace. True peace. That's where everything comes together. As my friend was, he couldn't prevent his death. And as good as he was, he couldn't earn his way to heaven. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need mercy. And we need peace. Peace that makes us one with God. Peace that enables us to be one. Now, as a final reminder, John adds that the Father and the Son provide their grace, mercy, and peace in the sphere of truth and love. Both the Father and the Son are the source of these gospel resources. They are both fully God. One God, two persons. And they provide them in the sphere of truth and love. Now, this gets really... I know this is... This is it's weird. How did, how did we get grace, mercy, and peace? God loved us in truth. He didn't compromise truth. He didn't compromise love. So let me break this down. Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, never sets aside truth to love us. God loves all sinners, but never at the expense of His truth, because He Himself is truth, and His truth is revealed. For Him to love people and set aside truth, He'd have to set aside Himself. But if He sets aside Himself, then He can no longer love you, because Himself isn't there. He can't, he, he's got to be true to, to himself. It's in truth. He never sets aside his Bible. He never sets aside his son. He never sets aside his spirit to love sinners. God loves us as his elect kids, but never in a way that changes or compromises what's revealed in the Bible. Listen, God doesn't welcome all people into his church and say, hey, come on in and keep your sins with you. He says, no. I cleanse you from those sins. I forgave for those sins. Set those sins aside. And, and let's come and live and love in truth. But let me end with this. Our triune God never lacks love in revealing truth. Now, I can say these principles. Let me break it down. Listen to me. Listen carefully. When God in the Bible says marriage in one man and one woman for one lifetime, granting divorce only for a very few exceptions... He is being loving. When God says that the LGBT lifestyle is sin, He is being loving. 
When God says there's no such thing, no such thing as same-sex marriage in His eyes, He is being loving because as He speaks truth, He doesn't set aside love. When God in the Bible says there's a place of eternal torment for those who reject Christ in this life, He is being loving. He hasn't set aside His love as He speaks truth. When God in the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, and no one, no exceptions, comes to the Father except through Him, He is being loving. He's speaking truth, and He hasn't set aside His love. When God in the Bible says physical correction will drive foolishness out of a child and will not ruin him or her for life, He is being loving. He is being loving. He hasn't set aside love speaking truth, and neither will you. But our culture will say, that is unloving. You are a bigot. You are a bigot. You are a hater. You are illegal. And you must be punished. And we say... That's okay, because that's what they did to my Lord. And He is the truth, and He is love, and He loved in truth. And His truth, and His love, and His triumph, His, I'm sorry, His love, His truth, triumphed over death, and we will too. We will too. Five provisions. Five provisions of truth for loving others. They're not in competition. They're essential, but truth is the key. Truth is the key. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We have a long ways to go. I confess, and I think we can confess as a people, that we have a lot to learn about your love. It's given to us freely, but but we need to study it. We need to live it, we need to experience it, and then we need to share it within one another and let it flow to the lost people of this world that we come into contact with every day. Lord, let us love in the truth. Let us love by the truth. Let us love with the truth because the truth is the key to loving others. You, as the truth, abiding And never abandoning us is the key to loving one another. May we be motivated. May we draw on the resources of grace, peace, mercy. May we understand that you are loving and true through us to a world that desperately needs that, that you died for, and you are willing to save all who come to you in truth and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.